0: Please turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, Ecclesiastes 9 will be in verses 13 through chapter 10, verse 20, going book by book through the book of Ecclesiastes, or verse by verse through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're uh, getting near the end. Last week, we looked at the fact that all of us are going to die, and there is a way to live in response to that, and now Solomon continues that theme of living in light of death by exhorting, exhorting his hearers to live wisely, to live wisely before God. He starts this passage by showing us the, the benefits and really a beautiful picture of what wisdom can do, and then he's going to show us how wisdom can be unraveled and actually destroyed. So, please follow along as I read Ecclesiastes nine thirteen through 10, verse 20. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, that the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise, heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off stench, so little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he's a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There's an evil that I have seen under the sun. As it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in the low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and, no one, and and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, and he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility." and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof, the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, and some winged creature tell the matter." I'm entitled this message, Destroyed by Folly, I don't know if you ever as a child or even as an adult got a bunch of dominoes and stacked them side by side trying to make some big design where at the end of it all, after all of the hours of work, you tipped over the first domino and then they all fell and made a happy face or a unicorn or whatever it is you're designing. I don't know if you've ever done that and then foolishly knocked them over as you're almost done. You know, you reach for your drink and for some reason you put your drink right next to the middle of the domino structure and you foolishly ruined something that was gonna be so grand and so marvelous. That's what happens in this passage. It starts off with a story about a wise poor man who saved a city even from a strong and powerful king. And, just like Solomon regularly does, he doesn't end it there and go, see, go live that way, I'm done talking. No, he says this at the end of verse 18, actually verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but a Solomonic but, but one sinner destroys much good. See, the theme of this passage is wisdom is wonderful, But let's look at how folly can ruin a good thing. That's what's before us this morning. Wisdom brings much value but can quickly be destroyed by even just a little folly. I'd encourage you as you listen this morning to take to heart the fact that every single person alive needs the wisdom of God. We need the Word of God to live rightly. Wisdom in the Bible is thought of as skill for living. We need to know how to live rightly before God. And wisdom in the Bible is not just skill for living, but it's skill to live rightly before God, to live in reverence of Him. The beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord, Solomon says says elsewhere in the Proverbs. So, wisdom is what all of us need. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years, you still need wisdom from God In managing your daily affairs and relating to other people and representing Christ, we all need wisdom. So, I'd encourage you, if you're you're a young person here, young people are famous for knowing everything. Son, do this. Daughter, do that. I know. Well, then why hadn't you been doing it yet? I know. Young people are famous for I know when, in fact, they don't know everything. So, young people, I'd encourage you to listen to what Solomon's teaching here about the value of wisdom and how a little bit of folly can ruin it, can ruin a reputation, can harm others, can harm yourself. Let's go a little older on the age spectrum. Those of you who are maybe young adults or uh, middle-aged, you pick when those days and times start. I'll leave that up to you. But those of you who are kind of in the middle part of life, maybe parenting questions, maybe thinking through career questions, thinking through how to connect and relate to a local body of believers. You're in that middle area of life. You need wisdom, not your own intuition, which might have some traces of wisdom in it, but you need wisdom that's outside of you. Let me talk to the older people. Again, you pick when that starts. You're retired, you've been successful, you've, you've got a family, they're off and out the door, you know what's going on in life, you've, you've seen how life works, guess what? You're not done learning from the Lord. You need wisdom. You can actually gain wisdom and continue giving that to the next generation. So, my point in kind of going through the stages of life is to say that all of us need wisdom. All of us need to be redirected by God sometimes and redirected by Him uh, in ways sometimes that that isn't always comfortable. All of us need advice from other people to be pointed in the right direction. The Proverbs speak and the Bible speaks of gaining wisdom, not just directly through a funnel from heaven to us, but God often does that through godly people and through godly wisdom. So, all of us need wisdom. And this morning… Solomon's going to start off, again, showing us how valuable wisdom is, but then how quickly it can be destroyed even by just a little bit of folly. So, let's look first at the value of wisdom, and then I'll give you six points after that, six ways folly destroys. Okay, so let's look first at the value of wisdom, verses 13 to 18. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. Solomon doesn't often say that, Usually he looks at things and he sees them as vanity, a problem not satisfying to him. But he sees something that's great to him. Ah, gets our attention. Solomon's optimistic for a moment. What is it that he thinks is great? Verse 14, there was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. Notice the contrast between little and great, small and big. Little city, few people you're thinking, okay, the odds aren't good. And then you learn about a great king building great siege works, little few, great, great. This is not to the advantage of the little guy. Verse 15, but there was found in it a poor wise man. Poor in the Scriptures is not often a commendation. Again, the odds are really stacked against this place. He's poor, but he's wise. little change of course here. He's poor, but he's wise, and by his wisdom delivered the city. Now, we don't know how that happened. We don't know if he just suggested the the few men in the city go to a different part of the city to defend it. We have no idea how this happened. We don't even know if it's a true story. Is this Solomon just giving us kind of a parable? Has he seen something like this before? There's actually an example that's like this, a woman that saves a city in 2 Kings chapter 4. So the point isn't, is this real, is it not real? The point is Solomon is showing us how wisdom can even deliver a city when the odds are stacked against it. Wisdom is one of the things needed in this world today more than anything. True, biblical, godly wisdom. And here, there's a man... Poor man, but he's wise, and he through his wisdom delivers a city. And you would think that his name would be hailed for generations. But we're a people who are foolish. Even when we've been delivered by wisdom, we still don't value it highly enough. Middle of verse 15. Yet no one remembered the poor man. We went along forgetting what saved us. Verse 16, but I say that wisdom is better than might, and he's just demonstrated that. It wasn't the king that succeeded, the great king who built great siege works. It was one man in a city. It wasn't even a wise city. It was one man in the city whose wisdom helped the city defeat the king. So, wisdom is greater than might, Though the poor man's wisdom is despised. When it's forgotten, it's not valued, it's despised. And his words are not heard. The words of the wise are heard in quiet. The words of the wise are heard and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Again, Solomon's just stating some truisms following this story that he's given. Wisdom better than might. Even words in quiet, this man was maybe giving advice to a couple of people in the city. Words in quiet, the shouting of the great king that's come to siege, you know, take over the city. Those words were more powerful than the words of the king, but yet we've kind of forgotten about the wise man. We don't value wisdom like we should. Verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So, this is Solomon setting us up. He's trying to show us how important wisdom is so that we would value it. And he shows us in the rest of the passage, which will be our outline for the morning, he shows us in the rest of the passage how just a little bit of folly can ruin a people, ruin a family, ruin a nation, ruin a city. A little bit of folly can ruin things. And so, don't be a people, Solomon is saying, who forgets the value of wisdom and pursuing wisdom, and be careful about letting folly of different sorts come in. Let's notice how the folly can destroy, six ways folly destroys. Let's notice first in chapter 10, verses 1 to 3, folly overturns reputations. Folly overturns reputations. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Now picture a day and age when people weren't taking daily showers or weekly showers. And picture kind of the stench that would be in rooms and in homes. Perfume, therefore, was valuable. Perfume was a great blessing, was a great help. And sometimes perfume left open, oil left open, would attract flies and after a certain time those flies would die in that perfume and the perfume would be compromised and it wouldn't be sweet smelling, it would give off a stench. Solomon's saying that's what it's like to one day be wise and be honorable and to be a blessing and then to let a little bit of folly in and now all of who you are is no longer honorable. Your reputation is in the gutter now. You are known as a stench, not as a beautiful fragrance. Verse two, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. No, that's not Solomon being supported and paid by the GOP. It's not what he's doing there. The scriptures often speak of, apologies to all the southpaws in the room, speak of left-handedness or going to the left as folly what the Scriptures do. So, next time you're bowling with a friend and you see them bowl left-handed, you know there's something morally wrong with that. (laughs) No, not true. The left side, the left hand is just a picture of folly, whereas the right is staying on the right course, staying true. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right. Notice where your heart is, lead you to right operations. That's why true wisdom starts in the heart. We've been seeing this all throughout Ecclesiastes, haven't we? True wisdom starts with revering the Lord. You revere the Lord, your heart's right before him, you will walk in wisdom. Wise man's heart inclines into the right, but a fool's heart (coughs) to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he's a fool. You just need a little bit of time to show someone who's lacking sense, someone who's foolish. You just need a little bit of time observing them. Even just sit outside of a storefront on the road and just watch a person walk through the street, walk through life, and sooner or later you'll see folly. So Solomon's showing right away that folly overturns reputations. Again, even in Solomon's life. Starts off so great, doesn't it? First Kings 3, he, he's made king after his father, David, and God asks him what he wants. And he doesn't start listing off palaces and vacation homes and anything else. He says, I, I know that I need wisdom to lead your people rightly. And he's commended for that. The Scriptures say that he's the wisest man to ever live. And then throughout his life, he becomes morally compromised. And even Nehemiah commenting on Solomon's life says this, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women, foreign women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. That's a a big statement. He was the best of the kings. And he was beloved by his God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, the foreign women even made him to sin. Folly can overturn a reputation. Some people think that Ecclesiastes is Solomon's repentance and his lessons that he's want he wants to impart to other people who come after him because he knows that he's blown it before God. Don't know if that's the case or not, but we do know that even Solomon's great reputation was then compromised. When you hear Solomon's name, You might think wisdom, but you also quickly go to how he was compromised, don't you? We do. This is a lesson for us. Folly overturns reputations. Consider Richard Nixon. Many great foreign policy accomplishments, but what do people think when they hear Richard Nixon? They think Watergate. They think folly, stupidity. That's what they think. Folly overturns reputations. Folly outweighs honor, if you will. There's a second way that folly can destroy. Folly exacerbates problems. See, when there's a problem, when there's anger, when there's hostility, when there's wrong that happens, folly makes it worse. Wisdom makes it better. Verse 4, chapter 10, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, the idea there of being leaving your place, like leaving the presence of an angry ruler in disgust, arguing on your way out, storming out. Solomon's saying, Don't do that. He's told us that before in Ecclesiastes. Don't do that. If the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. <clears throat> Some of you knit and crochet and quilt Bible verses on things, this would be a great one to put in your home. Calmness will lay lay great offenses to rest. But what happens when we're wrong? What happens when we've got an evil king that makes a bad decision and we're in their presence and something's wrong? We fight, we challenge, we go out in a huff, and that doesn't help things. Solomon, as (coughs) he often does, (coughs) excuse me, and also Similar to what Paul does and similar to how Jesus operated before human kings, there's a certain meekness, a self-control in their presence even when they're wrong, even when they're accusing, and there's a certain meekness and humility that wins the day rather than hostility and making things worse. Charles Bridges says, anger, in response to a contentious situation, anger irritates, and inflames the wound. Meekness mollifies, cleanses, and heals it. Resentful pride adds fury to the storm. A mild demeanor changes it to calm. So here's a good word picture. I shouldn't say that about my own illustrations. You decide whether it's good or not. Here's a word picture I've thought of. When someone turns the temperature up in the relationship, turns the heat up and the water's boiling and emotions are high, do you go and turn it up even more by your demeanor and your words? Or do you try to turn it down and cool the situation off and have a reasonable mind, reasonable actions, reasonable words? I want to remind you, I've taken you to this passage a number of times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, but turn over to James chapter 3. So important for us to know what wisdom looks like. Again, oftentimes when we think wisdom, we think simply about the brain. I know what to do in the right situation. I've studied this topic. I know what's right and wrong. I understand. And that's part of wisdom, understanding, knowledge, insight. But in the Bible, wisdom has a character aspect to it. It looks like something, like good character. James 3 verse 13, "'Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, not by his good knowledge, not by his expertise in an area, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, again, hear Solomon encouraging you in front of an angry king to be at peace, pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. He says when you're meek, open to reason, peaceable in those contentious matters, he says there's a harvest of righteousness, right? That leads to righteousness in the situation. It's, it strikes me, it's, it's just interesting to me how he says that here. When you're gentle and meek and peaceable in a contentious situation, righteousness comes. And elsewhere he says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Meekness, gentleness, even in the face of conflict is wisdom. To fly off the handle because they're wrong, you're right, I'm going to fight this thing, that's actually foolishness, according to the Scriptures. So, back to Ecclesiastes 10, folly exacerbates problems. You want to see a wise person? Watch them put into a situation where there's contention, Do they calm the situation, work through it peaceably, or do they use someone else's wrong as an excuse to sin with their mouth, sin with their anger, and start fighting? That's demonic, not my word, the Holy Spirit's word in James. You want to know wisdom? Let's test you to see if you've got wisdom, and here's how we're going to test you. We're going to put you in a contentious situation, and we're going to see what you do with it. There's where wisdom is found, or not. There's a third way folly destroys wisdom. Folly, verses 5 to 7 of chapter 10, folly upsets society. Folly upsets society. Verse 5, there's an evil that I've seen under the sun. There's something wrong that I'm seeing, Solomon says as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves." Now again, you might hate royalty, you might dislike leaders and rulers, you might not think it's good for the wealthy to rule. We need some equality here. Okay. Set all of your thoughts and put them aside. Let's just follow the biblical argument here. Solomon's saying normally the powerful, the the wealthy, who have probably obtained their wealth because of their wisdom and insight and skill biblically, they have probably obtained a certain status because of their capabilities. Those should be the people that rule. And Solomon's saying foolishness brings an upside-down nature to how things run. He sees slaves who might not be intelligent or have certain abilities. He says, sees them ruling, and people that should be ruling, not ruling. Again, this is not Solomon condoning what would later be the American slave trade or anything like that. He's just making a statement about life. Normally, those who have some achievements are ruling, and others under them are doing a lot of work, and they're subjected and and following and submitting to the ones with the ingenuity. And he's saying, you wanna see what folly does to a society, you flip that backwards, flip that upside down. You can see that in our culture. You can see foolishness governing, foolishness winning the day. You can see rioters, looters, People who destroy property having the loudest voice and then the rulers of the day bowing the knee to them, and they rule the day. Folly destroys, it turns things upside down. People in recent years have bemoaned the, the, the choice of leaders that we have in front of us, even in America. People bemoan that. Can't we, do, can we have a do-over on this whole primary thing and maybe start from scratch? There are wise businessmen and businesswomen, wise entrepreneurs, wise military leaders all over this country, and they are not the ones who lead us. Folly leads us. Why? Because that's who we are. We are a foolish people, and so we put up foolish leaders. Folly upsets society. Another example of the harm that folly does, folly harms self. Folly harms ourselves. Chapter 10, 8 to 15. He looks at some actions that people take. And he's going to start off with a couple of actions where it looks like people are trying to, to scheme against someone else. He who digs a pit will fall into it. The idea is digging a pit for an enemy. Oh, I'm going to get them dig, dig, dig. I'm going to cover this up, and they're going to fall into it and I'm going to get their property, whatever it may be. Maybe, And then, you know, for a moment they are distracted and they come back and then they themselves fall in the pit. That's a kind of a silly example, but it's Solomon saying, listen, you start foolishly attacking other people or trying to get something from other people, sin against other people, it's going to come back to bite you. Second example, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. This is probably a person trying to move a boundary marker of property, breaking through a wall, moving it just 30 feet to the left, whatever it may be. They're doing this work, maybe at night, silently, and they go to move pieces of the wall and a serpent comes and bites them. Stupid serpent? No. No stupid you. Not the serpent. That's what folly does. You start foolishly sinning against others, foolishly misleading, lying, manipulating, deceiving, you're going to be the one that's bit. Every single wrong we do against someone else will be punished. No one ever gets away with anything. For the Christian, we've had those wrongs punished on Christ, but for the one who doesn't trust in Christ, every single wrong you've done against someone else will be put on you, punished on you. And then he goes to just some actions that probably don't have any ill will toward them. He's just showing that even sometimes in a fallen world, just doing honest work will not work out, and you'll suffer for it. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. Sometimes just living under the sun in a fallen world, sometimes just good old hard work, sometimes it doesn't pay off. It actually hurts. You get hurt on the job sometimes. You go to cut wood and you swing that thing onto your shin. Sometimes those things happen. So sometimes our own folly harms us, but sometimes just being in a fallen world and doing work harms us. But I think there's more to just an honest day's work and then receiving harm from it. I think it's work that's not done wisely. So it might not be that you're trying to get someone or take someone's property. Sometimes just not working wisely harms us. Verse 10, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one succeed. So, in your workplace, in the work that you do, in the work that you do at home, the things that you put your hands to, we try to do those with wisdom. We think What's the best course of action? When we don't do that, when we don't think and try to use wisdom in our field and whatever it is we do, sometimes we suffer for not pursuing wisdom. And then verse 11, if the serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. You get the picture, right, of a Mediterranean location and someone sitting, legs crossed in a basket and, you know, playing the flute and the serpent coming out and people giving that person money because he's charmed the snake and it's interesting to watch. Well, let's say that person really needs some money. He's got to get this snake charmed fast because, you know, money running low. And so he's in a compromise on the 12 steps to charm the snake. You know, I'll just do the first six and I think that'll be okay. Well, sorry, you're being foolish and you play that little flute and you get struck. Again, not stupid snake, stupid you. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. So, sometimes wronging someone intentionally will come back to bite us, sometimes just not working with wisdom will come back to bite us, and sometimes just trying to take shortcuts will come back to bite us. I worked at a Hyatt Hotel (laughs) in uh, Southern California during college, and you know, big corporation, a couple hundred employees at least at this hotel, and there at the loading dock, where people would come and punch in, it would, there was a sign, it would say, you know, X amount of days without a workplace accident. You know, the Human Resources Department put that up to show that if, if you get 100 days as a, as a company, as a hotel, as a group of employees, if you get 100 days, I can't remember what the reward was, it might have been like an extra vacation day or something like that. But if you get X amount of days, then without any workplace accidents, then There'll be a prize for it. Well, it'd be interesting when that number would creep up, 70, 78, 79, and then the next day people would come to work and it'd say zero days since a workplace accident. It was always interesting. I remember thinking this back in the day. It's always interesting to see people's response. Their response wasn't, oh, no, someone might have gotten hurt. What happened? Their response was always, "Ah, oh, who's the idiot? because most workplace accidents happen because of folly, most, not all. But that's what's happening here. Not using wisdom, using, going down the road of folly can harm you, will harm you. There's also a way that words end up coming back and harming you. Verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. Sometimes when you're all talk and no action, it doesn't work out well for you. You just talk and talk and talk while other people are doing. You're foolishly talking. Got all these things that you wanna do, you're gonna do, you know what's gonna happen, and the more you talk, the less you're doing, and it ends up not working out well for you. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, just the start. Just You start opening your mouth, and it's foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. It gets worse. The fool starts talking, and it seems foolish. They keep talking. It's like, yeah, they're mad. They're crazy. A fool multiplies words, verse 14, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The fool in Ecclesiastes is the one that says that he knows what the future is like, and he talks about it. Oh, this is going to happen. I'm going to do this. This is where I'm going to go. The wise man is the one who knows that he doesn't know the future and just responsibly takes care of what needs to happen. But the fool just talks and doesn't know the future. Verse 15, the toil of a fool, all his talking, all his working, all the things he knows about the future, that, that whole thing wrapped up in the word toil. The toil of a fool wearies him does not know the way to the city. That's an idiom, does not know the way to the city. It it could be like in today, in our vernacular, that guy doesn't know which way is up and which way is down. She doesn't know where she's going. That's the idea. So this foolish person is one that talks, plans. I know the future. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. In the meanwhile, in the meantime, there are people next to them just doing their work, being faithful, While the fool talks and talks and talks and talks. And at the end of the day, they don't even know the way to the city. And they've talked and they've worked, they've talked and they've worked, but they're so tired after all that and they get nothing for it. Folly harms self. Your actions sometimes harm yourself. Your words sometimes bring back harm to yourself. And again, We see Solomon saying that in Ecclesiastes, we see David saying that in the Psalms. Solomon's dad said this, he makes a pit digging it out and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull, his violence descends. Folly will come back to bite you. It just will. There's a fifth way that folly destroys Folly doesn't just harm yourself, folly harms others. Chapter 10, verses 16 and 19. There's a self-indulgent type of person, self-indulgent type of leader, and that self-indulgence negatively affects others. Woe to you. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child. I don't think this is speaking of like an eight-year-old king. I think this is speaking of an adult who acts like a child. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. The morning is not the time for feasting. The king is meant to wake up and lead a people faithfully. And at the end of the day, then you can sit, eat your food, enjoy your labor, and then go to bed for the next day. But the self indulgent wakes up, where's the party? I don't want to work. I'll call in sick again. I won't try again. I want to feast. Woe to the people under that person's care. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your prince's feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility. So, in Solomon's eyes, someone who should be king And your princes feast at the proper time. And why do they feast? For strength. They eat food, they're laughing, they enjoy it, and it strengthens them. Not feasting for the purpose of drunkenness, which is probably what they were doing with that other king early in the morning. They wake up and they're drinking the champagne right away, 8 a.m. They're feasting. This is wonderful. This is great. They're drunk and they don't end up blessing the people that they're supposed to govern over and rule over but the people that are happy, the land that is happy, are the people who have kings, who work hard, and at the end of the day, they feast for the right reasons. They enjoy the fruit of their labor. They strengthen themselves with food, with drink, not for drunkenness, but simply as a reward for their toil, and they do it the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the land, the people are blessed. Again, folly harms others, verse 18. Now we go, away from a king's palace and we start to go look at homes. We look at a home and we see a lazy, a lazy man. Through sloth, the roof sinks in. Hey, honey, is the the roof sinking in? Ah, I don't think so. Next week, honey, is the roof kind of bowing a little bit downward? Nah, maybe just a tad. Would you be able to get off the couch and do something about that? I will. Through sloth, the roof sinks in and through indolence, the house leaks, the rain comes and now we've got problems. And notice the connection of verse 19, bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. What's the connection between 18 and 19? You've got a sloth who through indolence has allowed his house to leak so he's not working there's probably no income, and there's no way to even fix the house if you wanted to. Whereas you've got another home, and you've got the husband and wife each waking up and doing their thing, caring for the needs of the family, caring for the needs of the house, going and doing what needs to be done, taking the responsibility God's given them. They're, they're working, and they're receiving income from it, and so they can fix the roof and they can sit down at the end of the day, and verse 19, have their bread with their family and be laughing at the dinner table. Bread is made for laughter, wine gladdens life. Isn't, isn't this great wine? This is great bread. We've worked hard, we're enjoying this again, similar to what the good king did, just a couple verses ahead. And they have money, they have an income and they can have the house fixed and they could eat the bread and have the wine money answers everything. Now, we know it's not the money that solved everything. You trace it back, it actually was the faithful work. The faithful work brought the money, which brought the food, which brought the home into good repair, and that allowed us to sit down and enjoy the bread and the wine. But folly, when you're not working, When you're self-indulgent, when you waste, folly means you don't have enough when you need it. And guess what? You don't just harm yourself. You harm others who depend on you. Folly harms others. You harm the land if you're a foolish king, you harm the family if you're the foolish mother or father. So when people don't embrace hard work like God intended, when people continue in laziness, when people place their own self-indulgence over taking responsibility, other people pay. Other people miss out. Other people suffer. Other people are not secure. Folly can harm others. Sixth and finally, folly awakens the authorities. Being foolish gets you noticed. Remember, wisdom was held high at the beginning of this passage. Now we're seeing how folly destroys the blessing of wisdom. Here, wisdom is to be found in simply submitting to authority, simply obeying, or in the words of the New Testament, living a peaceful and quiet life. But folly curses the king curses the rich who again in Solomon's words are often the ones in charge folly curses the king thinks ill of the rich and now somehow your rebellion your resistance makes its way to their ear even in a silly way i'm just muttering under my breath and i hate this ruler i hate that leader i hate my boss hate the city council can't stand them. Can't stand this person. Even in your thoughts, verse 20, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. The bedroom's in a place where no one can hear me talk. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Now, this obviously doesn't happen. I mean, I guess if it's a parrot, it could. He says he hates you. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Solomon's point isn't, what can animals do? What can't they do? That's not his point. His point is, you have this in your heart, it will get noticed, and it won't work out well for you. That's what he's going after. Folly awakens the authorities. The boss says, oh, I hear you've got a problem with me. Now, let's see if you continue thriving in that company under that boss. Folly awakens the authorities. Foolish complaining, slandering, arguing, being grumpy, it doesn't work out well. Ask any law enforcement officials. Sometimes the foolish criminal just does something wrong and it's like, oh, that's interesting. What else is behind that? Oh, a house full of cocaine or whatever it may be. A little bit of folly gets someone's attention, and oh my goodness, I see what's behind all that. How would the Scriptures have us deal with rulers and leaders that we would normally complain about? Listen to 1 Timothy 2. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. Friends, I want you to understand this about New Testament Christianity. New Testament Christianity is quiet unless it's proclaiming the gospel. The quiet life, the loud proclamation of the gospel, that brings blessing, that brings safety, security. Fighting about everything all the time, running your mouth, complaining, is not what the Scriptures call us to. We don't hear these long speeches from Jesus about all the wrong policies of Pontius Pilate. Quiet, answers, meek. He's in control. He's the one that knows the truth. That's what he does. Paul, before the authorities, doesn't go and say, let me tell you why your political platform is wrong, Agrippa. Listens, speaks with a certain honor for the person's position because he knows God's placed him there, and he seeks to win them over to Christ. We live in a quiet fashion, live submitting, and we proclaim the gospel every opportunity we can. That's what the Lord intends for us. Solomon himself, himself, don't be the loudmouth complainer. It will not work out well for you. Folly awakens the authorities. Six ways folly can destroy wisdom. And I think it's good for us to take to heart if there's any way that we are engaged in any types of folly like this that can harm other people, harm ourselves, harm our own witness. Are there any ways that we're destroying wisdom that we're supposed to be walking into. I think if you're like me, you probably hear different parts of this passage and think, ooh, that stings a little bit. Yeah, I'm not the wisest in that area. I haven't been the wisest here or there. And so what difference does Jesus Christ coming to earth after Solomon wrote this, what difference does he make to all of this? is the final application to you. Now go, don't be stupid, be wise, and God will accept you. No, that is the wrong application. The right application is to say, I get it. Some of these things are true of me. Maybe I've been lazy. Maybe I've not sought wisdom. Maybe I've been self-indulgent. Maybe I've not worked, whatever it may be whatever it is that you may have experienced or done. We see that folly comes from inside of us, and it's good to start there and to simply admit that. Jesus taught this in Mark 7. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, All these evil things come from within. They defile a person. Now, that's not the place to end. I told you that's the place to start, to just admit, I wasn't born wise. I don't have it all together in every way. I understand that folly does still have a place in my life. And then you go from the guilt of that to the grace of God. Pastor Jason read 1 Corinthians 1 to us earlier. I'll read verse 30 for you. Because of Him, and that's speaking of God the Father, because of God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So see it in the timeline here. Solomon's telling us wisdom is great, folly ruins things. Readers of mine, hearers of mine, understand how much folly can destroy a situation. And we read those things, and we think, okay, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be wise. I'm going to do the right thing. And we still keep messing up. We still are foolish. God sends his son, and what does his son demonstrate to us? What's the picture we see when we consider Christ? We think, now that's wisdom. God the Father who loves His Son sent His Son to die for sinners, to die for fools. I'm one of them. That's the wisest thing I've ever heard in my life. And He rose again to give me life. That's wisdom and I, I stand on that message. I hold to that message. I believe that by faith in His Son I will have eternal life. That's the greatest piece of wisdom I've ever heard in my life. So we've been guilty of our own foolishness, but God in his grace gives us his own wisdom in the gospel and gives us a new life because of the gospel. And so now what do we do? We've been guilty, we've been shown grace, now what do we do in gratitude? We seek to be wise, not to earn God's favor. We've been given it, we've been given the grace. We seek to be wise, to respond to God's favor in gratitude. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5, these words, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So you see that? If you go out these doors thinking, The application for me is to go and live a wise life. Maybe. (laughs) If you mean by that, I've been foolish. I've got regrets from 30 years ago. I've got regrets from this week how I've been foolish, harmed others, harmed myself, turned society upside, whatever it is. I've been foolish, but God has been gracious to send his son to die for me a fool. And he's given me life. And He's given me wisdom. He's given me righteousness. I will stand before Him forgiven forever. Now, I want to go out and live wisely with the time, with the resources, with the people that He's given me. Yes, then that is the application. Go live wisely because of what He's done for you in His Son, Jesus Christ. Just in three minutes, a couple of encouragements for you who've been saved, who've received the grace of God as you go and seek to live wisely in gratitude to him. Five thoughts for you. Wisdom still starts with revering the Lord. So friend who's been engaged in some sort of folly, some sort of stupidity, some sort of sin, go back to the Lord to start. Here's the beginning of wisdom, revere the Lord. Start there, spend time with him, meditate on his word, talk to him, Go back to Him to be on the road to wisdom. Start with revering the Lord. Second, recognize that you need wisdom. Recognize that you're still in process. You still need wisdom. Again, some of you who have been in Christ for many decades think, I get it. I know where the world's going. I know the problem with this church. I know the problem with their family. I know the problem with my family, and it's not me. It's all other people. I get it. I'm wise. I know. Go back to James 3 and see what true wisdom looks like. It looks like being peaceable, being pure, being meek, being open to reason. That's what wisdom looks like. So, recognize you, whether you're young, middle-aged, old, recognize that you still need wisdom. You can still grow in wisdom. Third, seek wisdom from other people. And this is sometimes hard for us. We will literally in our quiet times pray, Lord, give me wisdom. And someone comes to us in a few days and says, hey, I need to talk to you about something. And they tell us something that we could grow in, and we just put the flamethrower on them. How dare you correct me? And the Lord's saying, you asked me for wisdom. I gave you someone to give you wisdom. But we think for some reason it's just going to come from God's home, God's throne to our mind, and that's how we'll do it. Well, He often uses other people admonish one another with all wisdom, Colossians 3. There's wisdom and safety in a multitude of counselors, Solomon says in the Proverbs. So, seek wisdom from other people. Ask questions. Ask for feedback. Seek wisdom. Fourth, study the Scriptures. Psalm 119.98, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. The Scriptures will give you wisdom, give you insight in how to deal with unruly leaders, to deal with difficult people, to manage your money for the glory of God, to manage your time. The Scriptures speak into all that. Finally, pray for wisdom, ask for wisdom, James 1.15. Sorry, 1.5. Pray for wisdom, ask for wisdom. So, revere the Lord. Start there. Recognize you need wisdom. Seek it from other people. Study the Scriptures and pray for it. May God make this congregation more and more wise and therefore look more and more like Jesus Christ. And in any way that we've been foolish, friends, brothers and sisters, he forgives us for that.